I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. Welcome to Grow and Learn, everyone. Today, we're going to be speaking about new technologies. We're entering 2024 right off the bat with topics of uh, AI, blockchain, machine learning, anything to do with new tech. Today, I'm welcoming the CEO of Vetstech, Sunny Abdul Yabar. Hi, Sunny. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks for joining. We haven't had a technology leader joining us lately, so I'm very glad to have you on board. Well, tell us a bit about your company. What are you doing? So Vestec is a Los Angeles-based company. It's an emerging technologies company that I founded about 16 years ago now. And the idea of emerging tech, it's whatever is emerging at the time. And it, as you can imagine, it changes very frequently. In the past, the definition of emerging tech used to change about three to five years. And in the post-COVID era, now it's changing about in 14 to 16 months. Mm -hmm. So since the end, official end of COVID, the definition of emerging tech has changed about three times, two to three times, depending on who you ask. Um, so currently, what we're focused on is artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, and we provide on-demand developers as well as uh, consulting services for middle market to large-scale companies and governments. And mm -hmm. we'll talk more about it later. That's the overview. What have you been working on in the past, let's say, uh, nine months since uh, the, the the massive adoption of chat GPT and what happened afterwards? What is actually what are actually the applications of AI that are currently implemented in industry? Well, um, what these emerging technologies are doing is they're changing business models. They, they are, these are competitive advantage technologies. These are paradigm shift technologies. These are not evolutionary technologies. And what that means is building uh, basic HTML websites to more modern websites, that evolution. When we talk about AI and blockchain type stuff, that's a revolution. That's an entire paradigm shift, new business models, new way of thinking and all that. To answer your question, what we are doing with AI in the research, well, first of all, chat GPT is uh, a subset of artificial intelligence. It's called machine learning. Um, these are really good tools for language um, detection and creation, that kind of stuff. But this is just a small sliver of what AI promises and what can be done with AI. Now, to answer your question based on chat GPT, uh, an interesting project that we did not too long ago was in an industrial environment where um, in the, uh, so they have these internal help desk, desk type setup where people who specialize in certain machines that are used in that factory, uh, they um, um, provide guidance to technicians. When technicians working on the machines, they run into problems, then they would come to this internal help desk and they'll say, well, this machine is not working optimally or there is a problem with it, what do I do? And then the help desk person would say, well, do X, Y, Z. So we took all that, put it in chat, in a, a, a language learning model like GPT and created a custom GPT based on all the history of their problems from the last 10, 15 years, 
all the questions. And these are usually similar questions that are being asked over and over. So we put all that in this custom GPT. So imagine a GPT that's created specifically for that industrial environment for the technicians. And what they did is instead of, you know, uh, one one uh, help desk person supporting 10 technicians, now you have one help desk person supporting say 100 technicians. Mm-hmm. So cost goes down, efficiency goes up, and also the GPT is available on handheld devices. So technicians can, while they're working on machines, they can simply pull it up, talk to uh, the product AI, AI software and ask what needs to be done. So that's that's a recent example of how it sh- um, a, a product was created based on a very mainstream technology now, which mm-hmm. is which is your GPT. Is this the end of uh, service centers, outsourced service centers? That's a question I'm often asked, and there is a lot of fear in the society of AI stealing jobs. Mm-hmm. My position on that is AI is eliminating redundant work. So is it the end of customer service? Uh, it's probably end or co- closer to an end of entry level or very lower level customer service uh, or call center type business models. Uh, it doesn't, and we tested a few other products as well for sales, for example, where uh, instead of individ- humans, it's machines calling out, uh, making sales calls and trying to talk to the customers and actually engaging prospects in those conversations. And what we found out that at entry level, it can be done. At lower level, just to open the doors, it can be done. When it comes to more in-depth conversations where relationships matter a lot, um, we still need humans. So is it the end of call centers? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Not yet. <laughs> Should call centers seriously think about revamping their business models? Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, and so you're also working on blockchain technologies. How is this merging with AI and what exactly is happening with blockchain? What do you see? The, I, I'm following blockchain in terms of the financial industry only, but what else is happening in blockchain? So financial industry makes sense because financial industry is the largest investor uh, and the the biggest adopter of blockchain and AI as well. And the reason for that is both of these technologies, specifically AI, requires data. Wherever you have data, wherever you have high regulation, more well-established processes, those industries are gonna be the first to adopt these technologies. That's why you see um, your financial sector being the front runner in adopting blockchain, AI, and other emerging technologies, uh, followed by healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then there, and then you know other sectors are there, but because the, both of these uh, examples that I gave you, financial and healthcare, these are highly regulated in almost every country. They have lots of data, and there's a lot on stake. So that's why you see these technologies. So your statement that you see it in financial sector, it's very valid for the reasons because that's the biggest investor. So just by by default, by by definition. Um, uh, do you mean no, drug development? Did, did you uh, drug what, development what is one? Them? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. What else in the in the health sector? Which are the areas of health? In the health sector, you have de- drug development. You have um, a diagnosis uh, of different illnesses. Uh, you have um, even training of of new surgeons and doctors. Uh-huh. Um, uh, patient care at home, like when they need advisory. By the way, your earlier questions are uh, call centers going away. I would say primary care providers. They should also be worried. Uh-huh. Why? Because the the so so in the U, U.S. we have this uh, primary care provider doctors. I don't know how it is in Austria. 
So primary care provider is your doctor. That's the first person that you call right. whenever you need any healthcare information. Then they send you to different specialists. That person's knowledge is primarily, it's it's lots of data that they remember. They studied, of course, in medical schools and they remember a lot of data. They stay up to date on um, the new research, new medicine, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then based on lab reports and based on symptoms, they would direct a patient to a specialist, right? Anything that's just based on information can very easily be automated. Uh, we actually Hasn't did a project already- not too long ago. Sunny, hasn't this already been the case with DocFinder? And I, I think there are already quite a few websites also in Austria and in other European countries, I'm sure also in the US, probably firstly in the US, that uh, give you an automated, uh, like based on multiple choice diagnosis, uh, initial diagnosis. I, I think mm-hmm. these already exist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had something uh, something similar in the US called WebMD, and it always ends up saying, you need to run to the hospital. You uh-huh. have cancer. <laughs> it like always okay. ends up in that, no matter how you answer questions. Uh-huh. Um, yes. So those tools have been around, but they haven't been reliable. You couldn't right. really make healthcare decisions based on those tools. The information was limited and, and the processing was very much dependent on what the user is entering into information. Uh, information into the system. Now you have all sorts of sensors and wearable devices and smartwatches that are collecting all your healthcare data. So it's not just based on the observation of of a user who is not a healthcare professional. I'm not a healthcare professional. So if I'm entering my data, it may or may not be accurate. And based on that, if WebMD type software or the software that you mentioned for healthcare advisory, that will give me incorrect information because I entered incorrect symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you combine um, smart sensors with things like blockchain, things like machine learning, now you get more accurate data entry and your output is going to be only as good as your input. If your input is good, if your data that your symptoms that you entered are accurate, you're going to get good advice from the system. Now, going back to your question about uh, what's going on in blockchain, whenever I'm asked this question, my suggestion is don't look at blockchain as a standalone technology. Blockchain is a one piece of the complete picture. Mm -hmm. So the complete picture, the healthcare example, first you enter data. Data can come from humans, can come from sensors, can come from machines, but data entry need to happen. Then that data needs to be stored somewhere and that's blockchain. Blockchain is a secure database, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Then you take that data, you apply machine learning and AI algorithms on it and you get actionable insights out of it. So when you complete, when you look at this full picture, now it starts to make sense. Otherwise, blockchain is just a data storage place, secure, very secure. Um, in the U.S., we have a little bit more freedom when we come with, when we work with blockchain. In in EU, it's there. There are more limitations actually on working with blockchain mm-hmm. uh, technology. But you got to look at the full picture. And to answer your question, what's happening now? If you keep that full picture in mind, mm-hmm. uh, then there is a lot going on. In, in, in the industry. So I gave you an example of, uh, you also mentioned FinTech, uh, financial services. We talked about healthcare. Uh, one of our recent project was in the apparel fashion design industry. So fashion is, uh, or uh, this disposable fashion, it's yeah. the second largest polluter in the world mm-hmm. as an industry. So the idea was how do we track footprint of a uh, um, fashion item, a clothing item, carbon footprint, and find out if one, shirt is more green, quote unquote, than another shirt. How do you do that? 
So now remember the whole picture that we talked about blockchain data entry and, and uh, mm -hmm. actionable items. So we applied that model on this industry. There's uh, our client is based on in UK. They collect their raw materials in Latin America. Production happens in Mexico primarily, and then they sell their uh, clothing in Europe. Uh, companies based in London. Mm -hmm. So we applied this model, and now they're tracking carbon footprint from the cotton fields in Colombia, all the way to the shirts that are sold in Austria. So when you go to buy a shirt in store in Austria, you can actually look at the shirt and it will show you a green score, which is a number between one to 10. And you, you, know, you can see which shirt is more green, more, more uh, environmentally friendly. That's an you know, application of blockchain technology along with several other technologies. And, and there are many other case studies we talk about, but this is one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that, but that's not to the point of disposal, but rather to the point of purchase that you that you're following the. No, it it's uh, it's to end of life. Uh -huh. So what happens when you start stop using a product, and then from that point, how easy to dispose it off? Does it end up in landfills, or can be can something be done with it? So so it it goes from cotton fields to end of life of further yeah. product. Fantastic, mm -hmm. yeah. wonderful, wonderful, great. And and what other um, industries, do you see significant disruptions happening now, and and where is the future looking at which industries? So, generally speaking, any industry that is based on information, right? Um, part of your industry, uh, business mo business model redesign and uh, reformation. That's part of that. So, think of it as there is information part. That's in your mind, based on your experience, your knowledge. Mm -hmm. That can be replaced with machine. But when mm -hmm. it comes to action, based on that knowledge, you do something. Mm -hmm. That part is secure. So that's the general formula. Wherever we are in industry is dependent on information or piece of an in industry, section of an industry that's based on just information, that's easily replaceable. Mm -hmm. Anything that requires more than that, anything that requires hands, for example, I was talking to a surgeon recently. He said, is my job secure? I said, yeah, your job is secure because, you know, we need the hands of a surgeon to actually perform the surgery. But until that point where the data gets to the surgeon, information gets to the surgeon and then the surgeon decides whether um, a, sur a surgery needs to take place or not, all that can be either completely or mostly automated through these technologies. I, so I that's the general recently, formula. Uh, yeah, I think I recently actually read that, that, that there are already surgeries performed by robots. So do you think that this assisted. will Robot-assisted surgeries. So mm -hmm. surgeons still needs to be involved. In many cases, it's the surgeon who is using the robot or the machines as almost as tools. Yeah. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, they still require uh, human intervention, mm -hmm. surgeons, human surgeons' intervention. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to robotics, uh, there are quite a few cases already where there was some mishappening in the programming or in the reaction of the mm -hmm. robots. I think recently there was something at a Tesla plant. Mm -hmm. What do you think yes. of uh, technology turning against humans in, in a sense of um, not being programmed correctly or um, mistakes can happen, especially at the beginning. So yeah. what do we do with that? Well, so whenever we talk about robotics, the very first thing that, that comes to mind is Terminator, the yeah. movie Terminator, remember? Robots uprising and they're going to take over the world and humans die, that kind of stuff. Uh, I actually wrote a whole book that you see um, 
over my shoulder, makers. This is about uh, the idea of how, can we create robotics and artificial intelligence that doesn't go against humans? Is is that possible? Is it possible? And I I I, I started asking that question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe it is. I believe it is. And okay. you'll have to read the book to find the whole answer. But the short answer is that about six seven years ago, I started asking experts um, from different fields, sociology, um, religion, science, technology, everything. Like I went to people in many different fields and I said, what can be done to avoid that Terminator-like future? And one gentleman from the sociology um, uh, discipline, he said, if you don't want your children to do stupid things 20 years from today, what would you do today? What would you teach your children today? I said, well, you teach them human values. And he said, yep, that's the answer for machines too. Because when we train robots, we uh, give them lots of data. We expose them to lots of different um, uh, sources of information, just like we do with children. Like when, when you raise your children, you show them, um, you take them in different environments, show them different situations and, and teach them values, kindness, empathy, compassion, you know, that kind of stuff. So this gentleman, he, he said, well, can we teach human values to machines? So this book is uh, that I wrote, it's all about the idea of if we teach human values to machines, then we can avoid that Terminator-like future. Now to answer your question, um, are robots or machines going against humans? Not so much. These are usually malfunctions. These are usually the Tesla story. It's not like robot went out to kill somebody. And it, it, or Tesla cars, even they sometimes stop in the middle of the street. I think they have mostly fixed that problem now, but they used to be, it's called phantom braking. So when the car is on autopilot running by itself, in the middle of a freeway decides that it needs to stop. And all of a sudden it stops and the cars from behind, they just bump into this car. And that happened, even I personally experienced that once. I didn't get hit, but the car did stop mm -hmm. unexpectedly. Um, these, the yes, these things are happening. However, difference between machine learning and human learning is that when we make a mistake, many of us, we don't learn from our mistakes all the time. Sometimes we keep repeating our mistakes. Machines, when they make a mistake, they learn. And when they learn, they teach that to their entire fleet. So when Tesla was making, Tesla cars was making this phantom braking mistake, once they identified the problem, they quickly um, um, uh, shared with the entire fleet of Tesla cars, millions of them, that this is a problem and this is the solution. So the learning was quick. Humans don't learn like that. So that's that. there are pros and cons. And of course, we're working with machines. Machines are making mistakes, that's happening. And that's why my suggestion is for now, use these technologies, including ChatGPT or any AI or, machine or robotic technology, use them as you would use any sharp tool, any sharp knife carefully. Mm -hmm. It's a tool, take precautions, but at least for now. I listened to a, a brief um, analysis of um, the development in AI and the point when AI would reach, um, what is it called again? I forgot self the Self-awareness. Uh, self-awareness, it had uh, something with S. I, I forgot it anyhow. Um, so, and, and um, yeah, self-awareness, this, this means when it would um, actually have the capacity bigger than the collective capacity of the entire human population. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the moment of 
Singularity. Singularity, exactly. Yes. So uh, according to some, this may be reached very soon. And but you know, this is just a speculation. We don't know enough about that. The question, the the point that grabbed my attention that I was listening to uh, this analysis was uh, where they uh, explained that currently we're using everything AI as a slave. So it's if if it's to adopt the human consciousness, naturally it will rebel against anybody who's trying to enslave it. Um, so in a way, we can't treat it as our child because we're using it to serve humanity. What, what is your view on that? So that's a very sci-fi line of thinking. It, it, it is, yeah, it is, but, uh, right? but we are but, in a sci-fi world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are, we are. And, my, and the book uh, Makers uh, that you see on my screen, that's all about this idea of the word makers, actually, and the subtitle is a slender knowledge. It actually comes from religious text, from biblical uh, conversation. And the reason why I went there the book is not a religious book, but the concept makers is slender knowledge. It's the idea is that it, are we gods to machines or are we parents to machines? What's the relationship there? Right? Is the relationship same as between God, universe, and humans, or is it as parents and children? For well, now, for now, you, I mean, at this would you as a parent ask your child to do your dirty work? I don't know. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> they listen or not, that's a different story. Um, would machines rebel? That's a very good question. And it's not just rebel. It's any anyone who is thinking deep about the problems on the planet, including environment, including financial poverty, um, lawlessness, uh, you know, people getting hurt in wars and crimes and all that kind of stuff. It all boils down to who is responsible. It's not animals. It's not anything else. It's humans. Humans are responsible for all of those things. I think we can agree on that. So if a machine who, AI, who loves you and who thinks of you as its maker and who wants to do the best uh, of everything in your interest determines that actually you, the human, the, is the primary uh, problem, is the source of the problem. Mm -hmm. And then machine tries to fix that problem. This scenario has been presented in many Hollywood movies. Right. Then what happens? You know, um, we saw that during the COVID months when everyone was staying home, environment became so clean, air became so clean, and there were, you know, jungle animals roaming the streets. I had peacocks, you know, wandering around on our street. I've never seen that before, you know, and it was because humans weren't on the streets. They were out. So if machine says, well, based on data, based on the experience from the COVID years, it looks like if you take humans out of the equation, then everything gets better. And then machine decides to go against human. Then, then what? That's the problem. That's a good question. Uh, I don't think we are anywhere near that, um, that point. I think for the foreseeable future, the bigger concern, to me at least, is humans using machines against other humans. You saw that happening in Ukraine. And this is not a political statement. Right. This is completely technology mm -hmm. statement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, drones being used to attack other people or other, mm -hmm. other countries. You saw mm -hmm. that in Russia. You, mm -hmm. You're seeing that in, in uh, Palestine-Israel situation. A lot of automation is being used to hurt other people. 
So can we blame the machines? You know, they're autonomous, but it's not machines that they decided they're going to go after somebody. The same thing in the job situation when people say machines are going to steal my jobs. I'm not after your job, but if I if you are better at these new automated tools, you can easily take my job. And so the concern is not from machines to humans, or the risk is not from machines to humans. The risk is from humans who are very good at using these machines versus other humans who are not, who don't adopt these machines, this automation. Mm -hmm. Machines becoming self-aware and the and the point of singularity, that's, is, even though there are people, some people who are claiming that machines are already self-aware, yeah. mm -hmm. but it's not a mainstream belief. Most people in the industry, they don't believe that. Yeah, but so it, it's not about belief, though, because we people really don't know what's happening when you when they start analyzing and what's happening in the black boxes. So it's not about belief. It's just that people really don't know how far AI has gone. It, well, it's not that we don't know what's going on in black box. Black box is for you and me who is outside. But if you are inside a company who is building the product, for example, OpenAI, they know how they built the machine. They know what's going on inside. The logic and the reasoning and all of that, it's it's um, it's known to its makers. It may not be known to the outside world. So when we say black box, it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you, you would hear in the media, there was a um, story a few years ago. They said, well, Microsoft created two pieces of AI and these two pieces of AI, they started, uh, they created a new language, a non-human language to negotiate mm -hmm. something with right. each other. And they were communicating and the researchers didn't know what's going on. That was mostly media hype. It mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, the way it was portrayed in the media that, oh, machines are becoming secretive and they're creating their own languages. But years Way ago, down the road. Before uh -huh. it became a hype, um, I know that there have been cases of... Um, AI starting to recognize a, a cat from a human, mm -hmm. and that was its own, uh, and that was its own making. It, it never mm -hmm. was taught to do this, and this happened within the black box. So there were cases like that. I mean, how can we make sure that this is not happening? Because this actually may lead to um, AI realizing that we are indeed in its way. Okay, let me ask you this question. Uh, do, you, do you know, do you happen to know, what are the most uh, commonly shared videos on YouTube? Cats? I'll, cats, cat <laughs> videos. So uh -huh. the AI that you mentioned, it was actually trained on YouTube videos. So it's uh -huh. not that AI created its own image of a cat, it actually was trained on a large uh, amount of YouTube videos and majority of YouTube videos are cats, okay, are cats mm -hmm. for some reason. Uh, although there was another example where a, a product, uh, again, Microsoft product, it was a, a piece of AI created in the form of a, or, or in the in the persona of a young girl, like mm -hmm. 14 years old girl, 12, 14 years old. Um, and this girl was AI girl, was supposed to be the best of humans that you can imagine, the most kind, the most loving, the most compassionate and, you know, all that good stuff. And then she was, it was exposed to Twitter data. Mm -hmm. Within less than 24 hours, this very kind, compassionate persona became a worse dictator persona, you know, kill humans and destroy humanity and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So would you uh, blame the machine or humans who are sharing that information on, on Twitter that then teaches the machine 
uh, in turn that um, you know these bad things are actually good and it should act in a in, in that horrible way. And and that takes the conversation into the whole idea of data hygiene and how data needs to be cleaned on which we are training these machines. Because otherwise, machines are going to learn all our bad behaviors and all our bad histories and discriminations and phobias and hatred towards other humans and the other. All of that is on the data. So that's why data hygiene jobs are actually one of the most in-demand jobs right now. There are a lot of people who are working on it, cleaning the data, making sure machines are trained mm -hmm. and with the right kind of information. I'm also thinking on the role of uh, governmental oversight when it comes to access to data that AI models can be trained with because you can feed it with whatever, then flood it on the net and see what's going on. <laughs> I mean, if there's absolutely no control of what data you can feed an AI model with, it can turn into a monster. We can't just rely on the ethical standards of um, IT specialists, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So my response to that is, so first of all, historically, I've been a proponent of mindful regulation, mindful, mm -hmm. not, right. not just blind lawmaking, yeah. because blind yeah. lawmaking would only hinder situation. Right. Um, without mindful regulation, we don't have rules of engagement. Uh, and if we don't have rules of engagement, and like you said, we can't rely on, on the model values of some people. Everybody likes power. So if I can gain power, by misusing this technology, I'm likely to use it. That's, you know, mm -hmm. Greeks established that long time ago, 5,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that's just human nature. Um, so first of all, regulation. Now, in the tech industry, there are a lot of people who don't like regulation, especially in the US tech industry. It's, it's uh, uh, people like freedom because the notion is regulation hinders development of technology. So if you put rules on me and limitations on me, I can't develop what I want to develop. And my response to that is people who are interested in, uh, who don't like regulation and they just want to develop technology, they are excited, they're, they're, they're more excited about the evolution or development of technology and less about the application of technology. Mm -hmm. Because without proper regulation, how do I take a piece of technology to a corporation or to a government entity and say, use my technology that I built Right. When there's no rules of engagement, they're not going to touch it. Too much liability. Mm -hmm. So yes, I developed something cool, but it 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 can't be implemented because like there is no rules of engagement. So currently, so there is no regulatory idea. body that deals with AI and and similar technologies. The combination. No, there are. There are. Okay. There are. EU is actually ahead of the game. Um, where you are, of course. Uh, there are some uh, actually within the last few weeks, new regulations came out, which I think was pretty balanced. And US is talking about it. China is, it doesn't have that many regulations. So di different parts of the world is, are dealing with it slightly differently. Um, although there is a need for regulation and oversight. Tell us a bit about the book. What else is in there? Um, so the idea of the book, as I shared with you earlier, the, the question that I was asking is how do we avoid the Terminator future? And the answer that I found was teach AI human values, raise AI based on human values that prevent us from doing bad things to other humans, like kindness, empathy, compassion, that kind of stuff. I wrote it in the form of a novel, so easy to read. And uh, chapters are basically divided after how machines and humans would interact if you raise machines on these human values. Um, the model of the story really is one, Yes, machines can be trained such that they don't become a threat to humans. And two, 
humans probably will be a bigger problem of how we react to machines, how we, our relationship with machines, that would probably be a bigger concern than, a bigger concern than machines going after humans. So that kind of is the summary. And um, the question was, what can be done today? So the answer is train them as your children, as if you're training your children. Is this the answer of the book? Yeah, tra train it with human values based on human values. That's that's the that's the answer. Um, also, because what we do today, the data, your cats example, for example, you know, for instance, yeah. mm -hmm. YouTube and cats, whatever we are data that we're creating today. And it's not just the biggest governments and biggest corporations, you and I, average people in our businesses, in our homes, decisions that are making today, that decisions are data for AI training tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So now it's it's not like, you know, I made a decision and its impact is only in, uh, temporary. The impact can be very long lasting because that decision that, you know, whatever step I took in, in, in an organization, it becomes part of that data that will be used eventually to train AI. So mm -hmm. I, I encourage people to think in terms of that, like decisions that we're making today, we have responsibility on, especially if you're in organizations, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're influencing large group of people, that decisions are becoming data that will be used to train AI of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So with that in, in, in the back of your mind, when you make decisions, you feel a little bit more responsibility and, and you know, uh, make hopefully better decisions. Great, Sunny. Anything else that you'd like to share that I've missed asking you in this conversation? I know it's a very large topic and we touched on quite a lot, yeah. but something that would complement our talk today. I, I would I would say that um, well, I recently looked at some data, very large number of business leaders, they understand that AI is competitive advantage. Emerging technologies and business models based on those emerging technologies is a competitive advantage. But less than 4% business leaders are actually taking um, uh, material actions, significant actions in bringing those technologies into their business models. The reason for that is, I believe, is lack of guidance, lack of information and fear. And I encourage business leaders to learn more on these topics and talk to people like me or companies like ours and um, and see you know, how they can bring this competitive advantage into their organizations. It's, it's not avoidable at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Where can people reach you? What is the, uh, uh, your LinkedIn profile is your name, Sanya. That's the, my name. Yes. That's the best way to reach me. And you can perhaps share the link with the uh, podcast page. Yeah. Um, do you have a website where people can take a look at your offerings? The website is vestecusa.com. It's spelled as V-E-Z-T-E-K-U-S-A.com. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It was it's a pleasure. my pleasure. It was very interesting as well. I enjoyed the discussion. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. 
With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.